Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast. Proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully. Tastes like homemade. Grab a Cully and Sully for soup season. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. Welcome to Dishing It Out, a Go Loud original podcast sponsored by Cully and Sully. And I'm Gary O'Hanlon, executive chef at the Condor at Chateau de Coudreau in France. My co-host. It's Garrett Mullins here from the Marca Hotel, uh, Anand Tower of the Marca Hotel Dublin, which is a five-star hotel in the centre of Dublin in Grand Canal. We saw the Ford Gosh Energy. Did you hear him there? Five star. <laughs> I'd say the Chateau probably has seven stars. If you want to start, if you want to start dishing about stars, big boy, let's go at it. It's five Five star. We know it's a five star hotel. So this is the kind of crack you're going to be tuning into. Me knocking Gareth's ego down a peg or two each and every week. While we see t- how that works out for you. Yeah. So look, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Cully and Sully, for getting behind the boys and giving us um, this show. I mean, we've both been doing radio a long time, Gareth, and uh, you know. I love podcasts. I love hearing about food, and to the best of my knowledge, there's not too many in in Ireland anyway doing this. No, and I suppose what we're going to be, I, I, as you said, Gary, I've been doing radio for ten years, and I never thought when I was first asked to do a recipe on the radio that that format would work. Mm -hmm. But um, it does work, you know, because I think people like to. What, what I'm told is people like the little tidbits of information that we're able to share about recipes that sometimes you can see in a written recipe yeah. and I suppose if, you tune, if you're tuning into this that's what you're going to find out we'll also be sharing ingredients that the word that I think we get a bit of stick for but cooking seasonally you know yeah. I think it's the, it's the biggest buzzword at the moment but really trying to give you the understanding of what that does in a professional environment and it yeah. translates into your home yeah. we're also going to be every week we're going to ask our guests with there's one on to bring a cookbook um, and I think that really shows a lot about someone's personality the type of cookbook that they like and for episode one we're going to do your cookbook later yeah exactly yeah. And, and then it's you know because I think if you're if you're into food generally I'm often my mind is blown when I walk into somebody's house that I think I know fairly well Yeah, and they have this whole library of cookbooks because I think once yeah. you start buying them a lot it's, of people start buying them big time yeah, yeah that's true actually yeah and I mean again I suppose do you use them all do they get stuck in is there always the one that they go back to yeah so we're going to be doing that bringing on people getting to know ourselves getting to know you getting to know me a wee bit and um, I'm looking forward to it that's yeah, for sure it's going to be a lot of fun and I suppose the other thing that we're asked about all the time is our kitchen gadgets oh, aye. which are good which are loud and nonsense what can you live with, with and without and I think we'll try and introduce something different every week but most importantly talk about Irish food how much of a wonderful food scene that's here oh, it's amazing. Um, how amazing our ingredients are our producers are our chefs are mm. uh, and everything that goes around that yeah. you know And uh, well I suppose I think the best way to kick it off this week actually is gadgets and before we get to know it's just a wee wee bit maybe knowing your kitchen gadget might be a nice wee intro into the mind of Gareth Mullins what can you not live without at home now not we'll, we'll keep it you know it's not going to be chefy this is going to be about all you, all the people if you ever saw our promo whether you eat it you cook it or you just look at somebody else cooking it for you you know it's the home cook really that we're in and anybody in any walk that's that's in the food so what can you not be without in the home kitchen Gareth it's two things it's my chef's knife and my steel and I think 
most people don't really know what a steel is for. They think it's for sharpening a knife, but battering burglars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's if you if someone is was was when someone buys a house and they're they're or they're getting their first place and they say to me, I'm have to get in a new kitchen. What will I buy? And I'd be like, if you're going to spend any money, spend it on a decent chef's knife. And that means it's like. A, you know, six to eight inch blade of a curved French chopping knife. And if you buy a good one, you'll have it forever. Yeah. Um, and then a steel just to keep the edge on. I love that. Well, that brings me nicely to mine, and it's a really good, solid chopping block board. Yeah. I bought an 18 quid solid wood board in Argos about see I'm in my new house I call it the new house but I'm in the house 10 years now this year <laughs> and we had it for 4 or 5 years I literally bought it's just a, a solid plank of wood it's yeah. the most beautiful chopping board it's not too big and vulgar it's the right size and I just could not be without it and it, it never warps I wash it by hand all the time it never goes near a dishwasher gets a good scrub it's laid out on a, on top of my steel axe to dry properly to get the air underneath it there's a little trick for the home cook by the way because sometimes you put a wooden chopping board after washing it flat on a counter you'll get mold you'll get mold on the board so always either put it on top if you have a gas cooker that has airflow underneath it and the rings are cold sit it on there is brilliant or Gareth steel sit sit one part of the board up on the steel to let the air get in circulating around it so that's us to kick off episode one a knife a steel and a chopping board so what more do you want a couple onions So, I suppose to kick it off, this is episode one, and uh, you know we're going to be having guests on, maybe not every week, but every few weeks, you know, people that are really into food, love food, not just chefs, you know, but I suppose it'd be remiss of us not to let our listeners get to know us a wee bit, Gareth, first and foremost, so where did it all start for you? Yeah, and I, I suppose a lot of chefs' careers start very differently, but a lot of the time when you are talking to chefs, they, you know, everyone has this dream that they were sitting up on the counter with their grandmother making soda bread. And, you know, I, I have some memories from when I was younger, but really my, my catering career started when I was about 14. And mm. um, my brother worked out in the UCD out in the Royley Hall in a, in a big catering facility. And I started as a kitchen porter. So mm. uh, I was doing that for... While I was in school, really, and then I start. I used to watch what all was going the best, on. all the best ones watched the locker pot. Yeah, before. it's true, isn't it? Yeah, because it gives you an understanding and an appreciation of you know what like what goes on from the sink all the way to the pass. Oh yeah, you know, and when we we say the pass, what, what that means is where we actually play to fill up before the guest sees it. Um, and I suppose the most important table in any restaurant is the pass because it's super important. The last thing we taste is what you guys get or what mm-hmm. the guest gets to eat. So I used to always look. At cross and see what was going on there and then I said to my brother you know I think I want to be a chef and he's like don't be stupid get a real job <laughs> you know that's the reaction nearly every time I would have mentioned it back when I was 13 14 I mean I started the night before I turned 15 mm. and there was a pen or two but um, I understand that a lot of the time but you know because when you see you know there is unsociable hours which actually turn into sociable hours as you get a bit older and mm. have kids because I get to drop my kids to school and yeah. there's no drama me taking a, a week 
weekday off or two you know. parts to every day yeah exactly yeah. Well, I mean, when you're younger it's tricky when you're working every Friday and Saturday night but you, you get a new circle of friends and kept you out of baller a little bit probably yeah. me in a bit of so <laughs> where, where, where did you get the first break then like did you go to Colliery College in Ireland yeah so I, I stayed on and done my leaving cert because uh, the people that I worked for out there were kind of fairly insistent my brother was obviously involved in that and then I think the piece of advice I'd give anybody that's getting into cooking would be choose the best kitchen that you can find mm. and at the time the Marion Hotel had opened about two years oh, and uh, I was training in Cattle Brewer Street um, and I said to uh, one of the pastry chefs that was teaching me I was like if you were to pick a hotel to work in Dublin where would it be And because I wanted to stay living in Dublin and he said without doubt hands down it'd be the Marion Hotel and the first thing you meet's a cork man exactly. up there exactly. I wasn't actually it was a curry man it was, <laughs> was the exec sous chef that interviewed me yeah. and I was I, I looked like someone else Westlife you know I had the jacket and the tie and they don't show up like that to interviews anymore but no, I took it really seriously and I think that's what I learned working in the Marion it's about like being super professional all the time and maybe that was in me a little bit I'd say that was built into me from my father and yeah. you know being proud about working and it's I a beautiful it. hotel it is uh, they no, do things it? right up there for sure don't they yeah, but then after that, then I spent a few years in in the Marion, where I was. I suppose I was an apprentice. I made it up to demi chef level and made it through all the sections, through the starters and the garmanger. And, Good man. You know what? That was the. It really showed me what professional kitchens are are all about. And yeah. you know, Ed runs kitchens where stocks are the heart and soul of them, yeah. and are still the same. And I think you know oh. when you walk into a really good kitchen when you can smell the stock oh, yeah. on the stove. You know. So yeah. then after that, I went out to Australia and I spent. I went there for the Olympics, which is... Oh, I never knew that. Mm, 2000, I landed and I promised myself, I prom- now, my now wife, Denise, I promised her I'd take a bit of time off and I wouldn't start working straight away. Mm. And I think I started my job three days after I landed in Sydney. So uh, I believe they say, I mean, I was six years in Boston, we'll get to me in a wee while, but they say if you can't if you can't handle f- frying pans, you'll, you'll never cut it in Australia. I reckon that the line cooks need to be a hundred, like a lot of the restaurants or high-end restaurants just... Yeah, there's it, busy, quite, busy, busy. Yeah, that, and uh, do you know what? I was terrified about the fish over there. Oh. I built up this thing in my mind because <laughs> they're all different names. Eh? Yeah. Like you can't get sole and turbot and halibut and, you know, mackerel. Blue marlin and mahi mahi and yeah, all sorts. It's all like mahi mahi and snapper. And, but then when you, when, and I think that's the misconception with cooking. Tell me this, did you find then whenever you did, and we'll interject every now and again, whenever you did get your hands on the fish then, did you find it way more meaty? Was it was the fish always bigger and easier to work with? No, I, did, I found that in Boston. The, the thing that I found out very quickly is that fish are either flat or round. Yeah. And if you can <laughs> fill it a flat one, it doesn't matter what it's called, you can fill it. And if you can fill it a round one, then, you know, and yeah. that to me was mind-blowing at the time because I, yeah. re- I was really worried about it. Wow. Um, but then, once I got going then, I mean, it's like anything. And I do think, you know, having the French base knowledge that you learn in college and you hear young chefs whinging about college all the time and like learning the, the mother sauces and the mother stocks and techniques and the butchery and fishmongery you think it's doing nothing for you oh, until yeah. you're in a situation where you have to cook the classics and mm-hmm. and it, you think back to that day in Cattle Brewery Street where and you, you learned how to make you are, are always cooking the classics always some way form or other you're and I wish meeting. more people had cooked them <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's so much other nonsense going on out there with food you know yeah. so but 
but um, yeah, at the time, in like 98 to 2000, just before I left, there was some shaky food around Ireland. Yeah. You know, and I was talking... Bringing ingredients in from here, there, and everywhere seemed to be, like, was it was it Conrad and Peacock Alley that was the first to fashion that? Not to blame. Conrad's a pal, by the way, I'd said this phase too. No bother. But it was almost like fancy to be cooking something like a shiitake from Russia. But or even if you could out the fine dining scene, Gary, like, there was some poor food around the country. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean stuff that was going on and you know bad carberries and overcooked you know but now it's hard enough to get a really poor meal in Ireland I mean every from a little cafe to a petrol station you hit the nail in the head because I tell you you know I mean I travel a lot and I obviously travel a huge amount for work but like every other door you go in an arm if you want to feed a spuds and a nice carvery or whatever I mean I mean if pubs aren't doing decent food now they, and I think that was really a turning point in Ireland was you know the drinking culture the drink driving culture thankfully completely disappeared there's none mm-hmm. of that crack that if pub owners now don't have a decent chef they just don't have revenue mm-hmm. it's really that simple I mean a lot of the drinking is based around what people are eating now and the standards have certainly but as you say even a petrol station and you get a solid yeah, roll. decent enough yeah. like you know and I think I also think we've got much better at selling Ireland as a food destination I know I in particular when I came home 15 or 16 years ago like when I when I was away I used to get really down about how people spoke uh, to me about being Irish and an Irish chef. Now, mm. granted, then they would work with you. Where was that when you were in? In Boston. Right. But then, like, I would do shows from South Beach, Miami to San Francisco, New York and beyond. And there certainly was um, not Irish chefs, but Irish food was really from. Sure, what's Irish? Because the, the Irish bar in America has destroyed any reputation that food would have because our the culture of Irish food over there shepherd's pie and a bit and corned beef and cabbage and I remember no with corned beef and cabbage well there's nothing but here's the thing right in Donegal we we got our corned beef sliced in a packet in Spire or whatever like there was no such thing as cooking corned beef where I came from like when I went to Boston and when I remember one of the boys saying one time it's all great we have a patty now like to do the corned beef and cabbage and I was like what are you, what are you talking about like what the fuck's corned beef <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like corned beef literally to me was sliced I mean granted as I was over there then I mean I can, I can make a beautifully mustard <laughs> <laughs> corned beef now and it's really really nice no I mean I, I can but what I'm saying is like they had this as this quintessential Irish dish and I was like I haven't a clue what you're on about sir bacon and cabbage I but corned beef and cabbage no mm. I, genuinely but again like coddle maybe corned beef was a thing that you set down here we definitely didn't eat it in Donegal I can tell you, you say that you say you're referring to me from Dublin and you using using aye for sure but <clears throat> Ramsey came out with them famously you know back 20 odd years ago remember he was interviewed in a big show and it was brought up to me many a time not long after Ramsey started doing stuff in the States and he said 10 times out of 10 if he's interviewing chefs and there's an Irish guy in the mixer even if the if the CV isn't as good him or her is hired he said all through time he'd never ever seen workers like the Irish and I was actually going to make that point there What's, what, what, what came to the forefront pretty quickly when I was in Australian kitchens was 
Irish and I'd even say European lads and girls, they kind of were able to move up through the ranks. And for people that aren't in the prof- in the professional cooking world, and you hear these words sous chefs and chef to parties and demi chefs, they're just really levels of where you're at in your career and the amount of responsibility that's laid upon you. So if you're a commie chef, it means you're an apprentice. And when you're finished your apprenticeship and you start working on a section, you're called a demi chef. And then after that, you move into a chef to party, which means that you hold down your old section. section. Yeah. So if you go into a steak restaurant, the guy that's cooking your steak is more than likely a chef to party. Mm. And then after that, then you move into the land of, you work in the world that I in a big hotel, there's junior sous chefs and mm-hmm. sous chefs, senior chefs. It starts getting a bit non then. But basically a sous chef is like a manager or a supervisor. And then you've got the chef or the, the exec chef or the head chef or whatever you want mm. to call it. But I remember over there, it was very easy to look good as a chef in Australia, I found. Oh. Because of the French training that I'd had, anything that was coming at me... You like, were the man. It? Well, I knew it. Because, yeah. you know, I was able to fill it the fish and I was yeah. able to butcher the meat. And I always remember fusion food was huge oh, in right. Australia. Um, well, it's very close to Japan and that too, isn't it? Like, yeah, and Thailand and yeah. Vietnam and there's loads of people from all different parts of the East. And But it got... I used to call it confusion a lot of the time because, man, <laughs> some of it was nonsense, man. Yeah. You know, and you could very quickly... And when I come home from Australia in 06, there was a lot of people mixing ingredients that shouldn't have been mixing together and yeah. I was very lucky when I was in Australia I worked for Radisson for three I had I chose hotels because I wanted right. to be sponsored yeah. and hotels could afford to keep you there but I used mm-hmm. to stage in restaurants yeah. that's another chefy word it means that you're going to go and work in another person's kitchen for free or sometimes paid yeah. but you're not actually working there for free you're working there for knowledge yeah. so and you you totally buy into that as that apprentice or commie or whatever and how, how many years in Australia all six in all? years I was there for no way really that long yeah I ended up then I, I went to work for Starwood which was oh, uh, yeah. the W Hotel I was the exec chef of the W when I was 26 and then we came home in 06, just when the recession was landing. So me and all my wife, Denise. Same so. as that, yeah. Uh, and we came home, and I was thinking, Grant, I'll just go home and get a job as an exec chef in a five-star hotel. And when I got home, I met this fella. <laughs> and I'd love to, I actually don't know who he is, right? But I met this guy up in Temple Bar. Someone organised for me to meet this guy in Temple Bar for a job, right? And I was going through my CV, and he said to me, yeah, yeah, I have a restaurant in Temple Bar. Would you be into running it for me? And I was like, oh, yeah. Many covers will it do? And much revenue is it going to do you know the questions you ask so you can figure out yeah. how many people you'll have working with you and he was like yeah it'll do 120 covers meaning you'll feed 120 people per sitting I was like okay and he said uh, yeah w- would you be able to run it and I was like yeah I think so the restaurant I was running back in Sydney was much bigger than that and yeah, yeah no problem and he says are we going to talk about salary and he goes yeah I'll give you 12 euros an hour what? I'm serious man 12 euros an hour I was offered and I was like I just left a big job in Sydney. 120 covered. How many seats is in this place? Like, he massive. offered me, and do you know what I done? And this is a thing that I rang Ed Cooney, who's the chef in the Marion. And I was like, come here, are you free for a cup of tea? And I went into him and I was like, what's going on here, man? And he was like, Gareth, the market is saturated with people that are getting paid incorrectly and they're taking jobs that you shouldn't be taking. Mm-hmm. And it was changing a little bit. And I was like, well, come here, I'm home. 
I want to work back in hotels. And now you're well. depressed. <laughs> yeah, and they they luckily and luckily are yeah. I suppose you look definitely luckily they offered me a job as a as a senior sous chef. I think the Marion again back in the Marion, and oh, I was yeah. like, I'll go and work here for six months, and yeah. and I ended up staying there for six years because. I'm. I kind of like being. I've only had three or four jobs yeah. as a chef, and that's kind of how I like to do it. I know yeah. Some chefs like to move around, um, and I waited for six years until the opportunity came up for the marker, yeah. and then I Jeff Duke, God rest him, is a. Uh, oh yeah. Jeff rang me and said, "Have you heard?" He isn't a chef in Ireland. Never bought a plate off. Jeff. Yeah. So he's chef. like a he's a, a crockery supplier. Yeah. And he's unfortunately. He's May he rest in peace. Exactly. Yeah. He died um, recently. But he used right. to ring all the chefs, and he knew every bit of gossip yeah. that was going on because he rang all of us yeah. to tell us what was going on and when he rang you he'd tell me what was going on with Gary and then he'd ring Gary to tell him what's going on with me so he, was, he loved the gossip so when I when he rang me and says Gareth you know there's a new five star hotel opening up down in, uh, down in Grand Canal and I was like cool and I was like he says get on to LinkedIn and find the GM and try and organise a meeting which what I done and I went down for the interview Charlie Charlie yeah, yeah. I went down for the interview on the it was like the 12th of December or something and I left Marion Square stroke Baggett Street in the 12th and the place was on wheels you know how busy it is around and I went down to Grand Canal it was lashing rain pitch dark and I was like, am I making the right decision here? Am I really going to walk away? I was the head chef in the Marion at the time at a cellar restaurant and bar. And I was like, am I going to walk away on this hotel that I love dearly? And yeah. I still do the, the Marion. Yeah. Huge part of my career and how it shaped me as a chef. And am I going to come down to this place where there's nothing? Like there was nothing down there. And I went home that night and I spoke. To, I obviously met Charlie and he wanted me to do a cook-off and all these things. And I was like... The cheek of him. But I was like, we'll do it in January. <laughs> I was like, can't do it now. Or just, and I yeah. says, anyway, if you want. He just come up to the restaurant. Yeah, come up to the restaurants. Yeah. And look at I thankfully I was offered a job and I accepted the job and I started there and the And look at you now. Yeah. It, Forbes Street by Gareth Mullins. Yeah. And I have to say, as one of your good friends, I saw that sitting in France about, you know, a few months ago. Yeah. And I, I I'm sure your parents and Dee, your wife as well. But they keep me very pretty grounded. <laughs> well, well you should be very proud of yourself, mate, because I tell you in Ireland nobody dishes out a named restaurant to somebody quite that easy and I know I'm happy to say it man I was proud of you that day I was yeah, delighted to see it and uh, so that was it you got the executive chef role and now you've yeah, named, and then, named like, restaurant what you know Gary and about our job is you have to constantly keep moving and changing well I, I have so much I have so much respect you know for chefs in hotels there's an awful lot of really good talented chefs out there that have never looked beyond a restaurant but you throw in 24 hour room service you throw in breakfast throwing conferencing and banqueting lounge food you know spa facilities spa menus breakfast lunch dinner your traditional way weddings funerals you name the function it's going on there it is it i cannot begin to tell you the amount of respect I have for chefs and hotels that get all of the above right because you know when you really compare to just somebody coming in well there's maybe no lunch it's dinner only and you think yourself yeah six starters eight mains four or five desserts and maybe cheese plate I mean that's incredible work too if you're at a high level but to have consistency in a hotel takes a level of work beyond the beyonds yeah and it's like anything it's about 
I think if you speak to anybody that's successful at anything, it's about understanding that it's not. A, you know, it's great to have your name over the door, and I am very proud of it as my yeah. family are. And, but it's really about the team, and it sounds a bit cliche. But you speak to anybody that's doing well in any profession. First of all, they're working hard. I think this whole misconception that only chefs work hard. You ever hear that nonsense? Oh, you work all these hours, and I'm like, well, I know a guy that's in IT, and he works a yeah. lot of hours, and, and I know well, a fella I mean, in a bank that's doing pretty well. well and you're you're spot on there, because I mean. You, we've been lucky enough I mean I'm around TV studios 17 yeah. or 18 years radio studio you're in my pad yeah. every Friday yeah. for as many years as I can remember I mean the guys that work in TV land and oh, radio I land make us look like yeah. lazy so-and-sos I have yeah. to be honest with you Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins a Go Loud original podcast proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully now is the perfect time to dig into a Cully and Sully risotto Go loud. Sounds better with us. Dishing it out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Cully and Sully squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal. Go loud. Sounds better with us. So with all that being said, Gar, when how's your career? Where did that start? Yeah, well. The Rosapena Golf Resort Hotel in, in Donegal. My auntie's um, exec chef there, I think, as long as I'm alive. You know, not to make you that still old. Or no? Dead still. Well. Still, yeah, she has been. She was my first head chef. Crabby little thing too, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> Ooh, you know, the old doll's about four foot tall. Death's about four one, so she thinks she's that wee bit strong. Look yourself. <laughs> but like me, yeah, I didn't lick it off a stone. <laughs> All my heights in my arms is what I say, you know. But yeah, so I would have mucked about with the old boy and wild Irish oysters. They used to go to the best restaurants in Paris, ironically enough, and 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 beyond. Tough, tough, tough work. And I always said, as soon as I was old enough, I'd always wanted to be a chef or a pilot. There's only two things I was ever. I liked school. I enjoyed school. I did quite well at school, and um, I had both options open to me. But the the night. I, my junior cert finished I turned 15 the next day and I thumbed a lift down, down to Downings to my auntie's house is on Moylock Hill it's at the opposite end of Downings Beach to the Rosapena if you've ever seen the Rosapena it's just right at the end of Downings Strand and her house is above it at the exact other end and how long has she been working there for? well it was a different aunt I stayed with okay. but, but no she's there 40 odd years I'd say yeah she must be yeah I mean I'm 45 gone by in the summer and that's there all, all my life I can remember and she's right. been the head chef too and Mr. Frank Casey is the owner they were amazing for me and so yeah I started washing pots there but in the Rosapena I really wanted to get into Killy Beggs and back in 95 or when I went to Killy Beggs there was no there was only 100 people ever getting in after 4 weeks 10 of those were let go they kept 90 and I think the year I got in there was 15 or 1600 applications and Killy, Killy Beggs is the college Killy Beggs yeah, I mean, it was. It had the reputation as the best culinary college in Europe. Nearly at that point, it was phenomenal really? success. Yeah, it really did. The only one that ever came close, I'd say, would be Port Rush, Calbrewer Street. But again, that was Dublin, and uh, GMIT Galway was. It's probably the best in Ireland today, but certainly didn't have the reputation that it has today. But Killy Beggs was the one that I asked around, and I was only ever going to go to the best. How important do you think colleges for Dublin? I mean, the way that's kind of bandied around is not that I, important, isn't it? I, it's hard to know. 
what well it's not hard to know what college taught me the first thing it taught me was manners and discipline you know that was the big thing I mean I was going in with a chef jacket that I might have had on at the Razapena thinking I was a great boy showing up with a jacket not realising that worn it for two seasons or three seasons it's off white it's not white even when it was spotless it was ironed but there was no crease lines I wasn't wearing a necktie I didn't have a, a you don't know iron for you in those days well I no I, I, I always ironed my own stuff and I ironed it well but it wasn't well enough because I was sent home day one to re-iron everything and put on one of the the new college did you issue. have to wear one of those what are those uh, things called yeah? a necktie you know? yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was it I, I went to Killy Beggs and I got sponsored by it was almost a scholarship type thing eight every year got sponsored and that was a big help he did a separate set of exams to the leaving I obviously did my leaving did well but the day or a couple of days before the leaving I went to the Mount Derrigal Hotel and sat an exam there must have been 100, 150 people in the exam and there was there was only a few going to be taken out of it and I was like oh god Like so there was a culinary exam separate to everything else to get into Killy Beggs and I obviously did well in that and I went then from 95 to 97 was the college years you know what I mean and first job out of college was Stormont in Belfast around the Good Friday Peace Talks leading up to all of that wow. mayhem just bonkers in a good or a bad I, way well in a bad way yeah it was it was tough like around that time it was tit for tat killings it was crazy and you, where were you living I was living in East Belfast beside Storm and the Newton Ard Road yeah it was in bonkers yeah I had a house there yeah yeah, yeah belonging to the hotel and uh, that was that was scary I mean I wouldn't do that now but at, at 19 yeah, yeah, I was afraid of nothing <laughs> I mean you chat about stagiaires then you know I used to go then there was a our banquet and head chef had a big role in Stormont as well so I'd be in castle buildings learning like days off I was learning if I didn't go back to Donegal I, w- I was happy to work and you know always had that ethic and then look it was on to on to Galway briefly but Boston's really where it started to happen for me like you in Australia I spent six years in Boston I know nothing about the food scene over there yeah it's amazing I met a man called Tom Devlin I opened his first restaurant called Devlin's it was a, it was a lot more how did he come up with that now? I know yeah <laughs> he thought long and hard about it <laughs> but he's got 10 now and uh, has he? yeah I opened his first three or four helped him yeah Devlin's I was just gone 21 driving a sports car I had no had a, had a big job I was really lucky in a way because Tom was really I'm strict the food we was cooking over well they had this like, casual fine dining thing like so basically in a nutshell to put it into the context you and I would understand it was almost like a high end French bistro okay. do you know what I mean like it was just Brasserie or whatever. everything from Soul Bon Femme yeah. to you know you could get a lobster pizza in it late night and stuff like that it was to this day one of the coolest places like you know you've got Harvard you're right in the middle of Harvard, MIT, BC, BU, and all these other colleges. Like, I mean, it's just, you could have the courthouse where you could have judges sitting beside students from Harvard, sitting beside doctors from St. E's, a hundred yards down the road. And they call Chef the Party's line cooks over there. Uh, they, yeah, line cooks, yeah. I hear that expression, like, if you're on the line. That, that well, a, ba- a big thing in America is you'll have your head chef, right, or your executive chef, and maybe a sous chef, and then right. nearly practically everybody else, for the most part, cooks. then, is, is a line cook and most of them in the states 
are South American yeah, and they're brilliant. They're machines. Uh, I had a Jorge, a few of the boys, but you know what I'm probably most proud of in Devlin's over the years is, you know, they opened we opened a few different types of places like a big gastro bar before a gastro bar was a name and it was a thing. Orleans and Summer Somerville, uh, Davis Square, which is just the next square beyond Harvard Square, the half door. There's loads of other places, but my sous chef would become the head chef in the next one. Okay. Our waitress was studying accountant. She's the group financial controller today, Michelle from Galway. I remember when she did her still? first when she did her first waitressing shift. Yeah, she still is. Jorge became executive chef in, in Orleans and Miguel became the main guy in Bodega and so on and so forth. So that that first restaurant of Tom Devlin's and that crew that I had, they all filtered down and through the group. And then Tom actually said to me, he used to love Downing's. He, he comes to Downing's every year. So when I met him the first day, I was in Boston. I met Tom for an interview, whatever. And I happened to be a chef in his favorite hotel in the whole world, Zarazapena. And he hired me on the spot. And he put me to work in a few other places he was consulting. And, and you know, I, I was a really young head chef, but I had the benefit. He was really strict with me. He was a brilliant menu writer. He was really strict with how they were written. If you did buffets, you know, teaching you what to put out first, what goes last, what goes in the middle, the reason behind it all. Mm. Just the whole geography from a buffet to a fine dining dinner. we I started doing wine dinners on the first Monday of every month, years before anybody was doing wine dinners in Boston. It was like Tom said, pick a country, pick a theme. And I have friends to this day that have come to Ireland to eat in Viewmount House when I was there that used to come to those wine dinners. I mean, it's amazing. We had the day to day, but I didn't want to miss out on challenging myself and pushing myself. So I would do a taste of Scandinavia, a taste of France, a taste to Germany. You can't do any of that now in the Chateau, can you? No, but it's all private rental. You missed that? Uh, no. no. I like it the way it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that for sure. So you came back then, obviously. Yeah, the so I came back then in, in 2005 and, and looked about Viewmount House. and Which I, I, I very lucky to... My last to ever service. The night I was there? Mm-hmm. Stop. That was my last night. Yeah, oh, my right. last, yeah it took you 10 years, you bollocks. To no come. wonder you came in and drank 20 years and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Eddie Tolan from Remelton was down with his wife as well that Pretty night. It was a it was an amazing night. Yeah, that was my last. It wasn't my last service. It was my last dinner service, and we we did the Sunday lunch, and then I finished. So Viewmount House was a Georgian mansion house. James and Beryl Carney really? owned it. They were just I mean, actually. I met my wife there. James is Annette's godfather. All right. I said no women, no messing. Put the head down, and three weeks in table six. I go out to see the three, the, see the three <laughs> dolls sitting with James having lunch, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" I went I'm back into the kitchen and I said, "The radic." I goes, "I met my wife." Swear to God, honestly, told, I swear to God, as sure as I'm sitting here, I said, "Jesus, she's gorgeous," you know, and uh, and then look what happened. Happened. She came in to help them out the week later, and we ended up going for a drink, and we did that every Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night for weeks, right. and. We now have three lovely kids and we're married. So we met in Viewmount. Well, the place just meant the world to me. I was back in Ireland three years when it opened. I was there for 10 years. Yeah, I was just a, I was a week or two shy of 10 years. And, you know, James 
let me run it the way I wanted to run it. They never interfered. Once he, he questioned me one Christmas on how much money I spent on prawns, and I had the answer. And outside of that, the deal was I would I treat everywhere I work like I own it. I'm always yeah. very proud of how I carry myself and and how I teach chefs and how I work with people. And James and Beryl were amazing. You know what I mean? And and you know, at one lunch of the year, a couple of years after opening, as you mentioned there earlier, Gary the recession was starting to hit I opened a restaurant on the 2nd of August 2008 August bank holiday weekend a week before that I pulled out of buying an apartment which thank God six months later had lost 170,000 euro of its 220 grand value Shall um, not now because he knows I no, bought one in around that uh, but, I'll, but I'll, I'll never <laughs> I'll never forget it you know what I mean and the only the one beautiful thing about that is nobody was trying to steal my chefs we were new we had never the owners had never experienced uh, Celtic Tiger revenues like full restaurants on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights I had a, had a bit of a clean slate there was nobody head hunting my staff Daniel couldn't butcher a chicken or make, make a pot of soup the first week he was there Daniel Skukalek he went on to win the Young Chef of the Year and he went on to to go on a scholarship to Johnson & Wales he opened his own restaurant and now he's in Switzerland trying to get a star in well, a new place he became phenomenal but I remember the little bollocks not being able to get to work on time <laughs> but he wanted to work on me I loved him and he he and I got on really well and the whole team right up for the first eight years everyone was there and it was great we won restaurant of the year then Georgina Campbell I mean I owe an awful lot of my career really to Georgina Campbell like they're important aren't they she doesn't even know like I remember coming out of winning best restaurant in Ireland Georgina Campbell awards sitting in a car in a car park and just sobbing it was just relief man and I was just like Jesus this is amazing had my first Michelin inspection that year as well and the things that just mean so much to you you know what I mean and even J- James come and came down to me and put the Bridgestone Guide sticker on the pass um, back in six or seven months after being open Sally and John had somebody in and then they came themselves and you know reading those words for the first time in my life I was reading words about my own food because mm. it was my first first proper soul it is really scary but it's really motivating as well but I got married 18th of March 2013 Easter Sunday 2013 I was on a beach in Mexico looking reading Lucinda O'Sullivan wrote (laughs) about me and John Coffey at times still jokes that Captain Fantastic was the headline you know (laughs) I just say like every time I go into time goes El Capitano's here (laughs) please step aside but uh, Frankie Fish in Amport Moore in Westport his wife Olivia took pictures of the review sent them to me and I was reading my first ever printed review on a beach in Mexico about and it was the first time I'd ever left the restaurant I was sick it was six weeks earlier when Lucinda had been in it was an amazing review I mean I would have hugged her to death if I had been in Ireland I was that happy and then Paolo God rest him came Big Ernie came they all came you know I was like fucking stop it (laughs) do you know what I mean but I mean I was really blessed that I never had a bad one but I'm not going to say like I knew I was never going to get a bad one but I mean I treated every I took every day like you probably do I was there all the time I took it really really seriously it really really was my whole world and my whole life and that was it then and do, you, do you miss that work from because now then you finished there and now you're well I finished there and, and I just said like 10 years was enough I wanted something fresh and new and 
I, I said I was going to take a bit of time off. I hadn't golfed for the whole 10 years I was there. I mean, I'm a student of the game. I adore the game. Longford Golf she is. That would you call it now? Longford, Longford Golf Club wraps around my herb garden and I never hit a golf ball once in the 10 years I was in Viewmount. Don't ask me why, but I never did. But anyway, I went to France to a, a private chateau for two weeks to help out a guy that I worked with in Galway 15 years earlier. And... I always remember a few buddies dropped me that had stayed at my house for dinner the night before I went. And I remember when Podge and Mark dropped me off at the airport. On the way down, I said to them, I goes, this won't be for, this won't be for two weeks. I have a real good feeling, you know. So it's a private chateau, the Condor at Chateau de Coudreau, is the French name. We do private rental, 35,000 a night. <clears throat> and five years later. Is um, it five years? Yeah, later? it's five years on. Wow. Yeah. I've been executive chef at the Condor for for five years, so two weeks has become five years. Yeah, and it's seasonal, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're closed now. For the so how how does the mise en place work? Every time you get there, it's the, uh, that's the the prep. Yeah, so because, every time because you get there, you look, start from scratch. Up. It's quite high end, you know. It's thirty five thousand a night to stay. You've nine rooms, whether it's two people or eighteen people, it's the same price. Wow. We have our own golf course, our own twenty four hour security, which is a real big deal for our guests. Um, it's the most beautiful property that yeah, you've, you've, seen that that you've seen ever seen in it. your entire life our own gym pool spa the golf course is world class and we don't even have deliveries Adam my my sous chef who I love dearly he's been with me a long time he was my last ever hire in Viewmount House for the last year I was there he was a student out of Athlone Adam Leahy he works with me he's my number two off camera on the restaurant for the past I'm on the show 12 years He's been on the show three or four years. He's my sous chef at the Chateau. You have someone with you on the restaurant? Yeah, you have by day, like each one of us. It took a few years to get somebody, but there used to just be one guy splitting himself between the three of us. But Stevie's a lazy bollocks, and he always had he always had the help. So then, as the years went on, he does mines. But well, dude, you're 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 basically you were literally opening a restaurant every day on the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You open the doors every single day. So that was it. Yeah. So that's my career up till now. Yeah, a private chateau in France the last five years, and I've a. New opening in, in December, January at the Opera Bastille for the Sullivan Group. I'm a consultant there, designed the kitchen last Christmas. And don't tell you all that stuff. Don't I'm going, I'm getting into chef no. that you're going to be designing kitchens and mm. you know accounts. Well, chefs, a big part of our chefs job. are the best people to design them because I mean I have a good mechanical mind and you, it's all about movement in a kitchen. How close this is to you? Does the door open the right way? Mm. So yeah, keep an eye on uh, the Opera uh, Bastille under the Opera House I'll have Lovely. something happening in there early in the new year and uh, and that's where we are Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins a Go Loud original podcast Cully and Sully squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal Go Loud sounds better with us so one of the things we'd love to do is hear from you guys, the listeners. Uh, what you can do is send us an email at dishing at com. And what we'd like to hear about is kitchen problems, any questions, dilemmas, or anything you'd like to hear us discuss over the coming weeks. So please reach out and we'll do our best to get back to you. So 
So Gareth, it's cookbook corner time and uh, each week we're going to be asking our guest or as it turns out episode one, I'm going to do episode two with my choice to bring in a book, a book that means a lot to them or simply they just love using it, they love the recipes, they love the chef or everything in it works, which is always a great starting uh, space for, for a cookbook. Who have you gone with and what is the name of the book Gareth? I suppose I own so many cookbooks it was difficult to try and figure this out but I went with uh, David Thompson's Thai food oh. um, and it's a, it's a bible of Thai food really and every time I see it on the shelf it reminds me of the time that I lived in Australia and I was going to say he's Australian right? Yeah yeah he's from Sydney but um, he was this cookbook was actually commissioned by the Thai council he was given access to historical recipes he's the only westerner ever to read these recipes and the reason I know that is because I worked at one of his sous chefs and this guy Nathan was involved in this book coming together but wow. the reason I love the book and I'm glad you said what you just said there it's because the recipes all work Yeah, there's nothing in there that doesn't work and I've tried loads of them some of them are really hard on a western palate um, I found it easier to eat some when of you say you tried loads of them what you probably mean is you stole loads of them and you put them on the equilibrium menu correct marker, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's exactly what we do with chefs and I yeah. think sometimes it takes a while to learn that when you're a chef. Well, I was doing Saturday Kitchen last year or the year before, whenever it was, and Tony Singh was on him. You know, he's the mad Indian chef. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's of Scottish origin. Oh, yeah, yeah, and all that cool. And to- uh, Tony and I are great friends. And he said, Jeff, you just changed three things. It's now your recipe. And I was what? He goes, that's what you do. Change three things. Now the recipe's yours. He goes, no wonder you boys are churning out books quicker than hot dinners. You know what but I mean? But I mean, every, every recipe is done. Somewhere. By somebody. Somebody's done. I mean, I know there's a few lads that are really young girls that are really cutting edged. I know. Totally new stuff. But what I love about that is, I mean, and you know, we spoke about it, but when you work in a hotel, I mean, I've five food outlets to worry about yeah. and I've guests coming in asking for loads of different things. So I've used this book so many times throughout my career um, and every time there's things in there as I said that are just they just work it is such a beautiful cuisine though isn't it like you almost feel like it's good to your toes like whenever you're eating some really good especially like a chicken pho or something like I found like I went to Thailand a few years ago with a buddy and we went to Koh Samui I mean the street food I was eating out there it blew my mind yeah and I think like the ingredients obviously may pay a huge part to that mm-hmm. but also the technique and what I like about about this book is it's not just a cookbook it goes in about tradition and that's what I like about it you yeah. know and I think have you a favourite dish in it or not really there's a there's a crispy pork kind of relish thing oh. that I haven't made it in years and I obviously we said we were going to do this and I'm going to make it I'm just, like, it's a relish for pork or de- there's pork as no, part of the relish the it's pork, pork is the relish pork is the relish you deep fry the pork and then you make a, you make a, a paste and then you have to caramelise the paste with palm oh, sugar wow. and then you add it's this really sticky really salty I don't know probably not sounding very wonderful beautiful you serve it with scallops and pineapple you mammy it's yeah, like just mind blowing yeah. but again when I was in Australia first I I came like as a 21 year old that just left Ireland and all of these flavours were brand new I think meat. deep frying is, is an art of cooking of course it is, yeah, upon yeah. too much yeah. I had a deep fat fried turkey at my first ever NFL game for the Jets we'd season tickets to the Jets a in a car what? park train stadium 16C they're called Troop Troop 16C they used to take over a whole section of Giant Stadium right we park in the same place every. I mean the MetLife is there now 
So I don't know. I think Troop 16C got to keep their section. You know, you paid five bucks. You can eat as much as you want and drink as much as you want in an hour. But you go in, all the money goes to veterans and homes or whatever. These boys used to get sandwiches. So the Jets played the Dolphins, which is their biggest rival, ironically enough. It wouldn't be the Giants. It's it's the Miami Dolphins. It was a November game, a week before Thanksgiving. Turkey was the order of the day. And there's a special pot with a lid and a bar that comes out of it. So the turkey gets a dry rub. So I was there and all my whole chef mind was like, boys, it's going to go on fire. Like, Because it was on this big gas Bunsen burner thing, right? And I says, there's no way that's safe. And like, I was genuinely, genuinely nervous. Like, the minute you said deep fry there, I just went right back to the turkey. Anyway, dry rub goes on. Lid gets driven through the turkey. It's lowered gently into the fat. Closed in, 90 minutes, comes out. I never ate a more beautiful have you ever done it slice of turkey no I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the cajones to, to try it no I don't but I'm telling you the skin the colour the oil was at a perfect temperature there was a beautiful seal on the turkey it was beyond belief beautiful and I actually I just thought it couldn't be done I mean I've often deep fat fried a half chicken but I've poached it first yeah, yeah. I've poached it in a you know in a, in a bouillon or and whatever th- this is the thing with Thai food like there's just so many levels of flavour and depth Aye. and how they reach it is through technique you know and like it's about carnival. and a lot of their a lot of their seasoning is you know fish sauces sugars citric acid can't, I mean we, we season an awful lot like that ourselves you know but it's a very delicate cuisine it's delicate but there's also this big flavour that they're always chasing you know I don't think there's anything when you eat something that's Thai that's really subtle yeah. and I spent have you, hours have you a favourite Thai restaurant actually is there any real standout Thais in Ireland do you know I'm, I live in Swords and there's a Thai takeaway restaurant um, uh, called Sanuk right. and it's incredible the flavour that they're getting oh, wow. uh, and there I think the lads at Sabbath do a really really good job Sabbath what they beautiful. do yeah yeah Paul Cadden yeah. and his team what they Camille do there Thai isn't it's yeah. decent yeah yeah um, but uh, Sanuk from where I like if Sanuk. I'm gonna if I'm gonna treat myself there's actually one now down in have the, they a uh, sit-in area or is it takeaway no, no, it's take away. Take all takeaway yeah and we get um, a maximum and we get uh, we get a Kosan noodle thing that yeah. uh, my kids get this sticky chicken chicken thing that they really like and you know there's just loud they do these chicken wings and this hot Thai spiced which there's actually a dressing in there like that Aye. but it, it's all hand pounded with Aye, yeah. and pestles and um, just so yeah. more it's just it? an amazing amazing cookbook and I think it's something that I'll own forever and uh, I'll keep referring I'm to I'm fond it of a wee sneaky pad thai when I come out of Marconi Yum. house over at Wagamama I'm not going to lie I love yeah. it it's Racket. fast furious no prawns just chicken pad thai loads of lime get it into you Cynthia Lovely. so Gareth cookbook today it's all on you so it's called Thai Food and it's by David Thompson alright well that's the first one in the pot uh, thanks for tuning in to Dishing It Out with me Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins huge thanks to Cully and Sully for sponsoring us and having us here to put anything in the pot to start off with email all your questions and we love getting them by the way to dishing at goloudnow.com don't forget to subscribe um, we're on the Go Loud platform or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, please tune in again next week Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins a Go Loud original podcast proudly sponsored by Coley and Sully deliciously fresh tastes like homemade ingredients you find in your kitchen Go Loud sounds better with us